update on the Hope Restore store that we're planning in North Falmouth. And uh, we're continuing to move forward with that. And this is what we're calling an upcycle store. So we're taking things that have been donated, uh, refinishing, cleaning them up, and, and really selling them. Uh, we haven't opened quite yet, but we're working through that process right now. And actually, it's, it's, uh, it's going pretty well. We're getting a lot of donations. We're, we're restoring things. Everything that we make from this store is not to benefit the church, but it's actually to give right back out to the community. We're looking at a lot of different community organizations that are doing great work here in Falmouth. And we as a church want to be able to support that. So this is our way to say, hey, we're giving our time to redo some furniture and do some things like that. We're giving our time to open a store. And all the profits are going to go right back into the community. Because we feel like that's an important aspect of who we are, to be for the community. And so we had the, a meeting with the town of Falmouth. And our licensing was approved on Monday. So that's a good, another big piece. And um, it didn't take them long. They did a background check on me. We happened to know nothing came back, so no, no major questions that they had to, uh, to ask of me. And uh, we've also had some uh, financial donations to the store, so I thank you for those who are kind of giving that little bit extra toward the store. Uh, it's, it's helping us as we're getting through this process of getting things ready. And we're hoping, and we've also had a, a very nice, beautiful carpet donated to us, uh, actually a uh, from Corey Carpets and, and Mashpee, so we appreciated them giving that. It's an amazing uh, gift to us. And it wasn't a cheap rug, so we found out. And uh, but it was really nice. And so we're, we're seeing things beginning to turn, and we're hoping to be open by mid-April. So it's right around the corner. And we'll uh, ask for your continued prayers and support there as we continue to move forward with that. So great uh, updates, and God's doing some great things there. Now, I wanted to start this morning. Uh, this morning's message is called Disruptive Worship. We've been in this series talking about the disruptor. And really we've talked about it in both senses. There's a sense that God wants to disrupt us from being comfortable. And maybe doing things outside of our comfort zone a little bit. And God wants to disrupt our current lives and help us continue to be better, to improve, and to grow in our faith, in our relationships. And this morning, I want to start off with a passage from Matthew chapter 26, verses 40 through 41. It says this. It says, Then he returned to the disciples, and he found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray, so that you will not give in to temptation. And here's where I want you to focus in on just this morning. For the spirit is willing, but the body is for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Other versions or translations will say the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You've probably heard it stated that way. Now this simple phrase was translated from Aramaic to Greek, and then from Greek into many other languages, as it's been said or spoken over time. And in history, there have been many difficulties in translation, especially when you translate into other languages. Former Secretary of Scotland, Sir Malcolm Rifkin, recalls that the British Prime Minister speaking in Moscow, uh, he was speaking at Moscow, in Moscow, at the uh, front of the Cold War. He declared in his speech, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he was surprised to see the speech translated into Russian. We have lots of vodka, spirit, but we are rather short of meat, flesh. <laughs> They had similar translations is, translation issues in Danish when an English diplomat also used the same phrase that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
The Danish translator paused for quite a few moments, looked around, and finally he came up with this. The vodka's good, but the meat's gone off. <laughs> the Irish Times oh, lists boy. the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak as number five on its history of Ireland and 500 excuses. See, we may say the same phrase as an excuse when we're trying to create certain disciplines in our lives. The spirit is going to the flesh is weak. And it's been used as an excuse over time. It means I want to do it, but cannot quite get the energy or the strength to do it. And quite often we can use the same form of excuse in our worship. When it comes to worship, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we can think this in our mind, and maybe it's in our hearts or our attitudes. We maybe justify our lack of worship. Maybe it's not my style of music, or it's not my favorite song, or I don't really need to raise my hands. Maybe not. But we do recognize it as a sign of surrender to God when we worship Him. Or maybe you say, I don't sing, so I can't worship. Now, one of the interesting things and parts of being a shepherd of sheep is every so often, the shepherd needs to take that staff and gently nudge the sheep, kind of back in line, in the right direction, when they begin to get off track. And you might remember when, when Pastor Bob gave me my cane, and I'm not going to bring it out for you today, but the shepherd's book on it. So every so often, I want to do this morning to consider this a slight from a loving shepherd that always wants what's best for his sheep. One of my favorite parts of a few weeks ago, when we had the motorcycle group here, and all the bikers in our church, there's several favorite parts, but one of the favorite parts for me was when we started worship, there were people in the pews when we started to lead it. They were here already, on time, when we started I can't tell you how discouraging it is sometimes for the worship team and for the pastor when we start and we're often singing to a nearly empty room that fills in by about the third or song. If your service is about an hour, and what is one hour for you is several hours of practice for the worship team and for the people that put a lot of preparation and preparing for you. And if you come 15 minutes late, then you've missed one quarter of the service. There's a lot of time spent practicing and preparing and choosing music. And the worship team puts a lot of time practicing all throughout the week to prepare to lead worship on Sundays. And the media team plans out the, the slides and the, how they're going to record and all those kinds of things upstairs and balance out, balances out the sound. All that so we can create an atmosphere for you to be able to come into worship and to focus on that. You don't have to worry about the slides. You don't have to worry about what's being played up here. You don't have to worry about starting on time or starting at the right time, timing. Or playing the right notes for some of us, or singing the right words, and sometimes I just make some up, I'll just be honest. Sometimes I don't quite get it right. See, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what I want to encourage you is let's not make that our excuse. Let's not make that our excuse, because worship is an important part of growth. It's an important part of hearing from God. It's getting in His presence. When we come together and we declare His truth when we sing, and when we declare his truth, guess what happens? That word gets inside of us. And we can declare that word when we're going through the storm. And that word also changes us. 
The word of the Lord does not return void. And many of the songs that we sing are the word of the Lord being sung through us. And we allow it to change us. And you could be missing a powerful opportunity to let God speak to your heart when you're coming halfway through. So I say that as a loving shepherd because I want to see God working in your life in miraculous ways. And I know many of you want to see that too. And some of it is just honoring God with our time. And saying, you know what, I'm going to engage. I'm going to get there. I'm going to worship the Lord. I want to sing songs to Him. I want to gather with other people and sing songs to the Lord so that they lift my spirit and encourage me. And today the message is called Disruptive Worshipper, but not in the sense of coming in late where you might be disrupting somebody who's here worshiping. But worship seemed to be very extreme. And this extreme worshiper, this disruptive worshiper that we hear about in Scripture is King David. You see, before I read the passage, I want to give you a little bit of the backstory, just a little bit of what happened here with King David, so that you understand why he reacted in the way that he did when he worshiped the Lord. You see, after seven years of brutal civil war, King Saul was murdered. And finally, King David stepped up because he had been promised many years before that he was going to be the king. And he was finally, after all that time, crowned the king of Israel. And David decided to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. And the Ark of the Covenant was a powerful religious symbol for the people of Israel and for the entire nation. And for 20 years, this Ark had been in other places, away from the covenant people. And it was left in a remote house by, in the house of a man named Abinadab. So they decided they were going to just take this Ark out get it to Jerusalem. But there was a failed attempt. See, as the ox cart moved forward, mm -hmm. that ark began to shift. It began to tip. And the Bible says that Uzzah reached out just to try to help steady the ark. And he was dead. He died at that moment. So then they took the ark and they rested it in the, in the home of Obed-Edom. And the Bible says that God blessed this man and his entire family. So what happened with Uzzah? See, there's no evidence that David sought God or even looked to his word to see how they should bring this ark back to Jerusalem. It seemed like a good idea. And for many of us, that seems like a good idea. Doesn't that seem right? Let's bring the ark back to its people. But what they did not do is follow the instructions given to Moses many years before about how that ark was to be carried. And the Levites were supposed to carry this ark on their shoulders, not on the cart. Well, you know who put it on the cart? The Philistines. The pagans. That's the way that they did it. So the Israelites let in what the pagans were doing. And there was a consequence to that. So here's a great lesson that they learned. God's work must be done God's way if it is to have God's blessing. Amen. God's work must be done God's way if it is to have God's blessing. So what happened? Three months later, David said, okay, he searched the scriptures. He found out how this was supposed to happen. And he tried again. And what we're going to read now in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 12 through 15, will tell us a little bit of the context of what happened here when they brought it out the second time. Verse 12. This is from the New Living Translation. 
It says, then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed Edom's household in everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom to the city of David with great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed the bull and the fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. Now, there's a couple of things I want you to notice here as we read this passage. And you may want to look back and you have your Bible open. But notice that the ark of God, being in the presence and being in the home of Obed-Edom, brought great blessing to the family. You see, when you bring God's presence into the home, you see, God's presence isn't just for church. When you bring God's presence into the home, God blesses the family. God blesses your family. When you bring in the presence of God, which is what they aren't represented, into your home, your, you and your household are blessed. And David wanted to bring this presence of God out of this individual household and put it in a place that was going to bless the, all the Israelite nation, in a place that many could come and worship and bow down before the Lord, and many could receive his blessing. You see, this time the party was planned, and there was even more joy as they moved this ark. David danced, it said, with all his might, with all of his strength, he danced before the Lord. And there were shouts of joy and blowing of trumpet horns. This was loud. If you were here, on the, when we had the motorcycles here, there was a guy afterwards that had the shofar that he blew. It is not a soft instrument. Imagine many of those blowing at the same time with also shouts of joy. This was a joyous celebration. This was not just a quiet, timid quiet song. I'll place for that as well. Blowing of random forms. This was the praise and worship. It was loud. It was crazy as David danced. And why did David dance in such a disruptive way? Why did he dance before the Lord in the way that he did? Number one, is he had every reason to praise. He had every reason to praise. Again, knowing the context of all that he had come out of, of everything that he's gone through up to this moment, he had every reason to praise because God had been faithful to him. How many of you can say this morning, God has been faithful to me, and he is worthy of my praise? You see, he went from being a shepherd boy, just protecting sheep from wild animals, to a warrior defeating Goliath with a stone and then cut off his head, to the palace of Saul, to next living in exile, running from Saul. But now, after all this time, after God had given him a promise that he continued to believe, after all this time, the breakthrough happened for, for David. Now the promise was fulfilled and he became the king. And when we reflect on the many stages and challenges of our lives, we see over and over again that God has been faithful. And if you're not sure that he's been faithful to you or you're not sure that he's being faithful right now in this moment, remember back to a time that he was. And remember that God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today forever. 
This morning you woke up. That's a pretty good start. That's a pretty good start to the day, isn't it? Try waking up one morning and thanking God for everything you can think of. This can be a long process. Electricity, running water, a refrigerator, milk, or my, my favorite, coffee. Yeah, thank God for that coffee. You see, if you woke up like that every day, maybe you would dance like David did too. Maybe you would dance a wild dance before him. sensitive to all the things that God has blessed you with over and over and over again. You may even find yourself in praise and honor. You may show up so early that you don't want to miss any part of the worship because he has been faithful and he is worthy of our praise. You may be filled with so much joy and gratitude that you can't help but dance. Why did David dance in such a disruptive way? Because he had every reason to. Something so changed in the audio, Dan. The second reason is because God was present. God was present. Everything that he went through, everything that he went through, God was with him the whole step of the way. Every step of the way. And then a song, it's, it's been out for a long time. I sang the song at my dad's funeral, but I can only imagine and there's some words there that really cause us to think, what would I do in the presence of God? Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance through Jesus? Or in awe of you, be still. Will I stand in your presence? You in the water, that's right. Would I sing hallelujah? Would I be able to speak at all? Where God says that God inhabits, He lives in the praises of His people. So when we praise, when we worship Him, He is present among us. He is with us. See, worship is something that becomes familiar. We become familiar more and more with the presence of God the more we enter into worship. And it reminds us of the promises of God, like Plato, not the philosopher. Plato. See, Plato was originally invented as a substance to remove soot from wallpaper. And it wasn't until decades later that it was marketed as a product for children. And the latest Plato innovation is a product line entitled Grown Up Sense. And according to Plato general manager Nina Beckett, it's designed to appeal to the sensory cravings of adults. So here's some of the examples up there. New Play-Doh line. Overpriced Latte. Lord of the Lawn. Mom Jeans. And Grill King. According to Vekadev, there's also room for anyone who just likes to laugh. See, corporate parent Hasbro has claimed that Play-Doh sales have surged during the pandemic. As parents try to find activities to do with their kids while they're stuck at home together. Just like Play-Doh can make familiar sense, things we kind of get used to. When we're going through trials, a song can become something that becomes familiar. A song can be something that we can smell. Okay, that's something I need to grab a hold of right now. This a 
psalm can remind us of the promises of God for us. You see, between David's promise of anointing as king and the time he gave him king was a long stretch before that promise was fulfilled. And sometimes we need to be reminded of God's promises for us. And the Ark of the Covenant represented to the Israelites the presence of God among them. And at this time, prior to David bringing it in, it had been absent. God's presence had been absent from the people of Israel. And there's nothing that makes somebody long more for something than something that's been absent and finally they get it back. Or let someone in prison just waiting for that day that they can be free again. Or maybe a relationship, a long lost relationship. You see, the glory of God seemingly left the people of Israel. Now, they can walk in the attack. The presence of God has returned to his people. And who represents that presence of God today in our world? There's no ark behind our fire baptism. There's no ark here at our altar. What does scripture say? Who are the temple? We are the temple. We are the temple. We are his ambassadors. We represent his power, his glory to the world around us. We become his representatives. That's why we gather together and we celebrate and we worship together. We are his representatives and we bring him with us when we come together. See, he does not live in buildings, in stone, in wood, or in drywall. The Bible says that he lives in us. And one of the most powerful parts of corporate worship is when we are singing and declaring God's truth together. Isn't it awesome to say nothing is impossible with God together? Nothing is impossible. All things are possible to him and me. And we declare those things together. And we sing those things together. I love the moments, even this morning, we had emotion right I love those moments because I know that we're together. I know that we're staying. I used to love those moments in, in chapel when I was in college on a worship team. The chapel seated a couple thousand people. And we would lead worship and then just back from the mics and the singing coming out us was stronger than anything we could have put out for the microphone. Powerful moments of God's presence filling the space and filling the room. One thing about David, you'll notice, he wasn't self-conscious. He didn't worry about what people thought of him. He did not care what others thought. He knew that God was worthy of his praise. He knew that God's presence had now come among them. And that was the reason for him to get wild in his worship. The flesh was not weak. He showed himself to be willing and able to worship the Lord. Now I want to say this, that there are different forms of worship. Music is not the only way that we worship the Lord. Music is one expression. It's one expression that we do in community often together. It's a way of praising and praising and proclaiming the truths of Scripture. And one way of worship that becomes part of growing together in community. And Psalm 96 encourages us to declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among the people. See, biblical evangelism is also an act of worship. Why? Because we're declaring his name among the nations. We're declaring his deeds among the people that we have contact with. 
and those that come into his marvelous light. Music can be a source of encouragement. You see, Jesus sang psalms right before going to Gethsemane. It said he and his disciples sang psalms, and then they went out to Gethsemane. And then Jesus also quoted another beautiful psalm, Psalm 22 on the cross. My God, my God, why have you foreseen me? Talk about that a little bit on Wednesday. Read through Psalm 22 just for a moment. And you get an opportunity. And read and see all the connections to exactly what was happening there on that cross for Jesus. Because sometimes it's okay to declare the things that are going on in life too. But also remember his faithfulness as you declare those things, as you speak those things. When Paul instructs the church in praise, he tells them to teach and admonish one another as they sing songs of gratitude to God. We are also worshiping the Lord when we give our time. That's an act of worship. When we serve with a joyful heart, when we show love to our neighbor, when we help somebody in need, those are all acts of worship as unto God. Worship is simply showing gratitude to God and He and who He is and what He's done for us. And it's a powerful weapon against the enemy. You see, there's been this great divide. And Moses danced, not Moses, David danced with all of his might before God. Why? Because he realizes that there's this great divide between us and God in relationship. He realized that when that ark was not present, that there was a deep divide in relationship. Even then, for the Israelites and the God that they claimed to serve. In verse 9, he says, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? See, he understands this divide. He understands that God is holy and that we are so flawed that there's this big space between us and God's presence, a big space between us and God's ark. But see, the presence of God changes all of that. In the Old Testament, the ark became the bridge that divide, the presence of God and the sacrifices and the blood that was splattered on that throne, on that altar. But the New Testament puts it this way, we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. That's us. That's the bad news. So why did David dance with all his might? Why did he create another party and go wild with a crazy god exalted dance? Shouting and praising God. Later it says that his wife McCall scolded him for his actions. And what was his response? I'll become even more identified than this. It's in the worship of the Lord with everything. See, David didn't just understand the divide, the bad news. He understood God's mercy and his radical grace for every one of us. And the difference. Presence of God makes in our lives. So God told us to make people to place a mercy seat on top of that ark, a pure solid wood. And every year, that mercy seat was sprinkled with a blood sacrifice. It was sprinkled with blood. And this is because God wanted to show visibly that forgiveness always costs something dear. It costs a life. And somehow there must be a menace. Some, somehow there has to be a bridge. A debt must be paid. And for that relationship to be restored, someone has to pay the price. 
someone has to bridge the divide between us and God, that distance and relationship. And here is the good news of the gospel. Whether you've known this gospel for a long time and need to be reminded, or whether you're hearing it for the first time, God has prepared already. He's already paid the price for our salvation. He died on the cross and he bore our sin in Christ paid that debt. And when that cross, when he died on that cross, it became the bridge to take us across the gap from who we are now where God has us come. From sinner to forgiven. From dirty to righteous. So David danced. And he danced with all his might. He danced with reckless abandon. And he didn't care what anyone thought of his dancing. God had bridged the gap. And this is why we worship. It's why we don't care what others, others think, and this is why we don't make excuses. Christ has paid our debt. We no longer have to carry the burden of sin. Do you know that? Do you know that in your heart? You don't have to carry around the burden of sin. You know that in Christ, every sin has been nailed to the cross. You don't need to bear that burden or shame anymore. You're free. Like we said this morning, freedom. You have given us freedom. My chains are gone. You can approach the Holy God and say, Father, I'm hurting today. Father, I feel like you've forsaken me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've fallen into sin. Help me, save me, cleanse me. And the great part about the gospel is that he will. First John 1 9 says that he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. My challenge to you this morning is to become a disruptive worshiper. Show up with the presence of God in your heart, ready to worship, ready to press through, ready to be changed, ready to not care about what other people think of you. Singing songs to the struggle, triumph, the victory. The promises, the healing, the adoration, the power, the presence. We sing songs about all of those things. The song that we did last week, Praise Before My Breakthrough. And we praise because we're expecting a breakthrough on the other end. This is the kind of disruptive worship that can break chains and change our hearts and make us new. This morning you may be listening and feel a, a divide between your relationship. You see, sin comes a divide between us and God, a holy God. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you can cross that divide today because the cross of Christ became the bridge between the two. And it takes us to the other side, the forgiven side, the cleansed side. God loves you and he died for you. He paid the price for each one of us so that we can give our lives to him and that we can be forgiven. He gave us him to die on a cross so that we can And this morning, if you want to take that step, if you would like to say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. I feel this separation. I know that there's this thing, and I don't know what it is between me and God, but I know that there's something that's holding me back from everything that God has for me. And I know that there's a bridge, but I have not crossed it yet. And this morning may be your opportunity to simply say a prayer. It costs you nothing but to simply believe it. And to believe that God has forgiven you to the other side. Every head bowed, never eye closed this morning. 
If you would like to give your life to Jesus Christ, whether you're watching online or you're here in service, I want you to say this prayer. And the prayer is not magical. It simply are some words that help you express what you're feeling in your heart right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I come before you today recognizing my need for you. Recognizing the distance between me and you. Please forgive my sin and help me to live my life for you. And help me to follow you all of the days of my life beginning today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to encourage you if you send that prayer this morning, that it's a first step in your faith. It is not, you know, that there's more that God wants to do in you. That's a first step. And it's a huge, important step. You've now crossed the divide. You're forgiven. But God has something more for you. I want to encourage you to download a version of an app called YouVersion. It's a free app. You can go on there and you can search for first steps for new believers. And begin to read through that to take you through some next steps. I want to encourage you, if you're local, we'd love to see you here on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. If you're living somewhere else or far away, I want to encourage you to find a great church in your area continue to help you grow in your faith. This morning I ask the congregation to stand. And I've been putting the scriptures up behind you. I'm not going to do that this morning because I want you to listen. This is a psalm of praise from Psalm 95. And I simply want you to have a heart of worship, a heart of praise this morning as I read this over you and as we challenge this morning. Psalm 95 says, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds his hands in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands form the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. He is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Massah in the wilderness. Let's not harden our hearts this morning. My challenge, my charge, as you leave this place, is to be a disruptive worshiper, not just in song, but in the way that you live out this week. You have every reason to praise the Lord when you wake up in the morning. The presence of God is with you and living in you. Now, let's go and live it. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.
Hey, Ignat. Yes. We'll be hopping around if you only had one. Uh, <laughs>